Welcome to New York Currents. I'm David Glenn. The Jewish community has a problem. It's, uh, it's, it's nothing new. It actually started with the Enlightenment and the uh, Reform and Conservative movements uh, from more than a century ago. But it's been heavily exacerbated by the uh, Internet and Facebook and everything else and in the, in the, every other bombardment of, of the digital world. And the uh, problem of uh, young Jewish, particularly men, uh, becoming assimilated has has become a major a major problem. We're honored to have with us uh, a special guest, Rabbi Shlomo Milstein, who has devoted his career to Kiruv or Jewish outreach to try to bring many of these young people back to the Torah. So welcome to New York Currents, Rabbi. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Uh, Would you describe the situation that I just outlined, would you describe it as a crisis? It's been a crisis for many years. Um, Public schools have not been providing their students with any religious instruction. So they're sort of uh, missing on being able to teach moral principles and how people should live by. And that that exasperated this problem of children going out without a moral compass whatsoever. I guess it's especially true now with the uh, alternative lifestyles and and all that that's really being uh, promulgated in the public schools. Right. I agree. Um, So now you... You were the founder and Rosh Yeshiva of Or Eliezer, which is now Ner Eliezer. Uh, but let me first, if you could acquaint our listeners with, with uh, a little bit of your background of how you you basically got into Kiruv. Okay, the truth is, the family has been in Kiruv. We've we lived throughout the years from when my parents came in, they're Holocaust survivors, mm-hmm. when they came in to America. We never lived really in a solidly, we'll say, religious Jewish neighborhood. We lived in when the Brighton Brighton Beach, which at that time was not a, you would call it an Orthodox neighborhood, but there were Jews there, many Jews there. Well, but, still isn't, right? I mean, it's there's still many Jews, Russian right. Jews, but right. they're not really Orthodox. It's gone through different. Uh, it's been evolved through different times. Yeah. There is Brighton <clears throat> Beach, but uh, at that time. My my father, uh, my grandfather, who survived the war, that's my mother's uh, parents, uh, who they, they survived the war with my with my parents. Okay, he was, they were giving bar mitzvah lessons to people who were not religious, people who are not, uh, we call not from, and uh, we brought them into the house. We became friends with them and families. And uh, therefore, it was not uncommon for us to have people that were not exactly, you know, we call them frum or religious, uh, and they would come in and we would share a, a seder with them, uh, perhaps uh, another holiday yantif with them, and so it wasn't a strange thing to have people uh, outside of the family, right, coming in and uh, enjoying our company and our family. So therefore, it was not, not it was not something which was not uncommon. It was not foreign to us this concept of mm-hmm. kiruv because they were doing kiruv all along. Your right? whole house, your whole house, right? they were doing kiruv all yeah. along. So therefore, yeah. it was not a foreign idea to do kiruv. 
uh, I don't even know if we felt like we were actually doing Kiruv, but that's what it was, de facto. It was Kiruv. I guess that's the best way if you don't feel it, you know, if, if the uh, people don't know that they're being... Uh... Right, exactly, exactly. They felt very comfortable coming. We never imposed anything on them. And uh, the, uh, the, the camaraderie between the family and the guests uh, were just, uh, a, 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 just a wonderful experience. So, would you say that that's kind of the best approach for Kiruv? Not you're not being pedantic, not being lecturing, not being oh you have to do this, you have to do that, and you're terrible for not doing it. You know. So, what is basically the approach? It's difficult to say there's any one approach. You know, one size fits all. It doesn't. You right. have to know who you're dealing with. You have to know what the needs are. Chanoch Naral Pidarko, it says, uh, educate the child according to his way, not your way, but his way. Right, right. So therefore, you have, to, you have to be able to anticipate what they need, where they're holding, and you have to have a, some kind of a, a, a Kesha with them, some kind of a communication with, with them to know what they're feeling, how you can help them, and do it in a way that does not make the person feel that he's inferior. Well, do you have to uh, know a lot about each boy or young man uh, before you can do that? Or, or, you know, what? I mean, do you have to know a lot about them? It's a matter of time. Over time, you get to know them. Over time, they're comfortable. As long as they're comfortable with you, as long as, again, you're not imposing, you're not, you know, they don't look at you as a threat to their mm-hmm. lifestyle or you're imposing upon them. You get to know them, and as you get to know them, then you start to decide how's best to work with them that they'll feel comfortable. It should be in their comfort zone. You uh, mentioned many times that we're all one Jewish family. Uh, how, how do you convey that to them? By respecting them. Okay, again, by respecting them, not forcing anything, make them feel good about themselves, which is very important, mm-hmm. and they're knowing that it's, you know, they're human beings, okay? They have sensitivities. And understanding that, uh, that, uh, that these, they're, they're, you know, you have to make them feel that you are really sincerely trying to help them. Yeah, that's why you have to make them feel that you understand that you're not criticizing them just to be critical, okay? Uh-huh. It's, 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 <clears throat> Constructive criticism done in a night delivered in a very passionate way. Well, what if if uh, one of these young men tell you that? Well, you know, I've never really done it. I I, I don't keep kosher. I don't. You know, I I violate. You know, more than I follow. It, it's not going to do any good for me to start keeping kosher now, or or you know, or not turn on the light on Shabbos. It's you know, it won't work. If, the approach, the approach is again. You, you don't, you don't stress the negative things. But you stress the positive yeah. things. Stress. You know, you could. There's Tisha B'Av and there's Purim. You can come right. with Tisha B'Av. You come with Purim. Purim obviously will attract much more people. Do they enjoy partying? Do they enjoy having a good time? So you channel that. So you channel the, the Purim the, part of it. And you get there. eventually they understand. They begin to understand. You give them to understand the, the, you know, what's behind it. Of course, you can't look at things just as this is traditional. This is what we do, and that's it. This is what that's what you do it. 
either that, that way or no way. We, you can't do that. You have to, he has to enjoy it. He has to enjoy it with you. We had one boy here, one student, many, many years ago. And uh, he was not religious at all. He's brought up in Israel in a, in a not religious kibbutz, anti-religious, in fact. And we brought him for this, and this was interesting because he was in Israel. So you figure right away, he's probably very knowledgeable about all the holidays and everything. But we brought him Simchas Torah to our shul, and it was very lively. And he was so impressed by it. He never saw it before. So he was so impressed by it. And he was here, I think he was here for senior year. Um, and slowly but surely, he started to adapt, you know, uh, some of the customs, some of the laws, some of Allah, he started to learn a little bit more. And with the comment he made was, you know, something to this effect. I'll keep Shabbos, I'll put on tefillin, I'll pray, but don't call me religious. <laughs> why Why did he feel that Because he had this from childhood, okay? They sort of, you know, say, I don't want to say brainwashed them, or whatever they did, they just taught like it's to be anti-religious. And they're, they're right. Yeah. So that became, uh, you know, sort of a, a bad thing for a person to be religious. It was a negative. It was so a I'll do negative. all this, but so I'll do all this on religious. You know, that's it. That's the... Uh, so, uh, which we were thankful for. That was very good. That was a very good movement. I understand one, one effective uh, way to draw these, these kids in is, uh, is to invite them to a, a Shabbos dinner, to the Shabbos table. Do you find that that can be effective? That is effective with, with other things as well, but that's effective. You have to explain to them what Shabbos <laughs> is, and, and people, of course... Uh, the first impression of Shabbos is very restrictive and you can't do uh, you know, anything. Yeah, they think about all the things right. they can't do. Right, think about all the things yeah. they can't do. You know, kids like to do things, they're reactive. But uh, you give them warmth, you give them you know, a good meal, get, you know, that was okay. uh, it helps. There's uh, singing going on, there's joy in the family, they see a family. If they see a depressed family, that, that's not so good for them. They see a happy family, mm-hmm. they're enjoying Shabbos. Uh, it's that that gives them motivation to keep Shabbos and try and keep it the best as they can. And our way was getting them to Shabbatones. We had mm-hmm. Shabbatones in the school, so we'd bring them out to families that were happy families. You know, they they uh, beautiful That's families true. out to the five towns. We'd bring them up to Muncie, mm-hmm. and they saw what they, they actually lived the Shabbos, and they and and the fact is they survived it. Okay? That's what they they survived the Shabbos, and they saw how beautiful it is. And they wanted more. They wanted more. That's yeah. that's the key thing, isn't it? Yeah. Do you find that you have to uh, sort of wage this battle on two fronts, you know, for the boy himself and also their parents? Do you find that that's, that's a difficulty? There are challenges, yes. The parents, uh, especially the parents just coming out of the Soviet Union at that time when mm-hmm. school started and began. Well, about so what then was that? You had, you had uh, parents who were anti-religious, mm-hmm. but they thought that you get a superior education in yeshiva. That's why they brought them, they registered in yeshiva. But there were, some of the parents were very anti-religious. Uh, but we hope, uh, first of all, you talk to parents, and they see that we are not fanatics. And that's what they think, right? They think, right. They think we're yeah. fanatics. You know, they say uh, religion is the uh, the, uh, the Stalin line or the communist the opium line. Of opium the masses, of the masses yeah. was yeah. religion. Yeah. And they, they speak to people out who are educated. And uh, they see professionals. They, and they see the religious people. They see it's, it's not a contradiction. They see you can work hand in hand. And that was a, a great example for them 
to at least soften their stand towards religion and allowing their children to absorb more. It was really, uh, you know, for many years, it really helped for them to meet Mrs. Hagler, did it not? Because she would, maybe you could tell us a little bit uh, about so, her. She was so Mr. Mrs. Uh, Sharon Hagler was our principal for roughly 18 years. She set the standard for the school. Uh, no matter what background you came from, uh, she was a big proponent of education. Okay, she herself taught English. She had a Harvard Saturday, degree, didn't she? she? A master's, I believe. I'm trying to think. It was uh, at that time it was a woman called Vassar, perhaps Vassar. Oh, okay. It was the Harvard right. for women at that right, time. Right. So uh, <laughs> she had a master's in English, uh, and she had a way of communicating with, with with students. Uh, a wonderful way to connect to them, and she taught them well. And at the same time, she taught them American values. Right, she taught American values, Jewish values, and she taught them that that there's nothing, there's no no goal too high to 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 strive for. There's no goal. You want to be a doc, you can be a doctor. You want to be, you want to be a lawyer, you can be a lawyer. You, want, you could still be, whatever. you could still be, and still be religious. Right. And you know, she wanted, she was a big proponent of Yeshiva University, trying to get kids to go to Yeshiva University, but also she was a big proponent of getting students to learn in Israel. And she got quite a number of students to learn in Israel, actually. So I, I noticed you had in me before the interview uh, a documentation of one of one case of, of one young man. Uh, can you can you t- give us an outline of, of some of your success stories? Yeah, we can. the 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 documentation you have in front of you was for a student that was not happy in the school he was in, whatever school that was. And he felt that they were cold and uh, you know, they took advantage of him at that school. And he decided to come to our yeshiva. By word of mouth, we don't advertise much. And uh, he writes about his experience in the yeshiva. I found this letter on, on the computer. I didn't ask him for it, right? <laughs> totally unsolicited. Totally unsolicited. I didn't ask him for it. He, I was looking through the computer. We, we had a computer crash of our previous computer. We had uh, some time of uh, a, uh, what do you call this, a drive, yeah. exterior drive, which we put on. We saved some stuff. And I was looking through to see what's on there one day, you know, and I see this article came up. It didn't even say title or who wrote it. And I just put it on, and I was just taken aback when I read it. It was the greatest letter a recommendation for the school that I've read because it's from the heart. And he said, writes the positive experience he had here, uh, you know, all the friendship that he felt like family was a second home for him. And Baruch Hashem, he's going on to bigger things already. Uh, you know, he's, he's went through college. He's, he, I think he graduated already. So uh, he's been very successful. And he writes about it. Now, just citing another, an anecdote of, uh-huh. uh, uh, one of the boys, uh, when he came to our school, he came from public school, and um, he came and I asked him, you know, we were talking about yeshiva, you know, the idea of yeshiva, and he was very much into baseball, very, very much in baseball. He played for Little League baseball, really? which is a hardball league. We're not talking about softball, right. hardball league. Right. And he asked if we have a program for it, and anything. I asked him, who did you play for before? And he told me he played for a, a place called Holy Spirit. Well, that was obviously... <laughs> so I said, Holy <laughs> Ruach HaKodesh. Uh, Holy Spirit, I said, that sounds to me like, uh, a, you know, a Christian uh, church, 
you played for? He says, yes, geometry yeah. of Varupak, I think. It's Holy Spirit. I didn't even know there was one, but anyway. Yes, there was. And he played for them. And he said, do we have something like that? Because he'd love to still participate in well, the Little you? League. And so I looked, I, I researched it, and I found that the Young Israel had a program, Hot Wall League, at oh, that okay. time, at least in those years. I don't know if they still have it, but they had it then. And mm-hmm. I called some of the people in the Young Israel, and I asked them if it's okay to bring this boy here, you know, to, to join the league. And they were fine with it. And uh, he joined the league. I would bring him to practice Friday afternoon after yeshiva. I'd drive him to Queens. His mother would pick him up. You would actually drive him? Yeah, I drove him to Queens. I drove him to the the baseball practice. And this boy was a talent. First of all, he was very strong for his age. He he was about 14 years old, but he was extremely strong. And uh, he knew the game quite well. And the boys who were playing for the young (laughs) Israel weren't quite up to par that he was. And when he came to the practice and they would pitch the ball to him, of course, the the uh, the kids who were part of the league, they you know they didn't think the ball traveled that far. You know, it's a little league, and he'd hit it way over the head <laughs> every time. Had to run to get it, and uh, as a result, probably uh, lost a lot of uh, balls. Uh, he lost a lot of baseballs. But yeah. on the other hand, on the other hand, um, I many years later, this is uh, I met the coach of that team. I met him at the airport. We were seeing off our son to Israel, and he comes over to me, you're a Milston. I said, yeah. He says, I want to thank you. I said, okay, what's, what, what for? He says, you're the one that sent us this boy to play for us. We won the championship <laughs> as wow. a result. Uh-huh. So he thanked us. But this boy later on went on, he was in yeshiva, he went on to learn in Israel for a few years. Really? He's married, Baruch Hashem, and he has a family. And he, they keep he, talk, they came, back and, and he came back into the fold. Yes, absolutely. Oh. Can you think of maybe one more success story? Is I'll give it, you another it? success story. Okay. Right? Uh, there was a boy that came in, and he was a member of PETA. Okay. okay. And, uh, I think I might know who you're yeah, talking about. I think about. you might know who I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> he was a member of PETA. And uh, we were talking, and he was very liberal, very, you know, and we had brilliant, by the way, absolutely brilliant. And I had my hands full with him. Because we had our little debates and everything, uh, all about, we're not talking about liberalism now, we're not talking about that now really, but about the whole idea of Peter of, of animals and animals being equal to humans, on, well, you know, the, the way some, uh, some members of Peter, uh, probably that I felt, that I, I thought that I knew that that's how they felt. Some and I went through debates with them. And finally, and this is something which is very important, because you have someone who's Mavakesh Ahmed. He looks for the truth. And if he sees that he was wrong, right? He sees that we won, we won the debate. I won the debate. I won, but I say we won the debate. The Torah won the debate. At the end of the day, he decides, okay, you're right, you're right. And so I remember, after a period of time, months and months of being a vegetarian, I remember the first time he ate chicken. <laughs> All the students were around him and they waiting for him. He made the blessing. He made the blessing on chicken. And he ate it. They all thought they were so happy. It was it was a, a momentous time in our history. We had, now, I, I can't tell you that uh, Mr. Glenn knows who this boy is. This is his son. And he grew up to be, right now, a big Tamil Chacham. 
learn it. He went to learn Israel. He was here. He went to Paradise. Uh, and he's a Rebbe today. <laughs> yes, I, I know so, well. Um, yes. <laughs> but but I know I know one thing that, that you were a great influence on, that he was kind of a, a rebellious kid. I mean, yes. he, you know, and uh, he didn't like rules that much. But it's something that you instilled in him that when you said something was not kosher, that's it. He wouldn't eat it. He, 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 he really... You know, for somebody who wasn't crazy about rules, he had no problem with with that. So what was your secret? How did you get through to him on that? I told you. He's very intelligent. I don't have to tell you that. He's your son. So you know he's very intelligent, I won't, I won't very smart. Argue. I won't argue. And he's willing. And, and when he sees that someone bested him, he was willing to give in and willing to understand. And when he understood things, he was willing to accept it. And, and he... He gets all the credit. I, you know, people say, "Oh, you made this person." You made. I don't make anybody. I place it before them, and they make the choice. I try to educate them. That's all I do. I don't brainwash them. I don't sit there. You give them you know, the opportunity. I give the opportunity. They, yeah. they see it. They, they see all sides of it. They see all sides of it, and they make the choice. And therefore, all the credit goes to them. Goes to your son. Goes to this boy with the uh, in the little league, and goes to so many others because there's been at least four to five hundred students that went through the school since we started. I was like, oh, okay. So you don't have too many students at one time, do you? Uh, uh, at one time we did. We had a larger school, small school. Yeah. Now we're dealing with more kids at risk, so it has to be small. You can't have a large school and give everyone the proper attention that they need. It, uh-huh. it has to be small. It can't be too big. But there were times we were a little uh, bigger, sometimes smaller. So you, you, yeah, mainly, focus, you mainly focus on... On teen boys, we'll right? call like high kids school. at risk, but I hate to use that term because some of these kids are great kids and they just didn't get enough attention, right? And, right. and they need the help and they respond. They do respond. Uh, well, I'm, I've seen that firsthand. Yes. So, if anyone out there is interested in uh, enrolling their son in your school, what, what should they do? Is there a phone number or what should they do? I'll give you. Uh, phone number to reach me, my direct cell number. You can reach me on that, so I can be 24-6, I'll say. Okay, 24-6. You can reach me, leave a message, I'll get back to you. My number is 347-446-7856. And that number again is? 347-446-7856. If you want to reach me at school, it's 347. I'll have to remember it. Three well, so we could go with if it's best to go with one number, I guess. Is you know, so people won't have to you know bother with more than one number. And the number here, three four oh, seven okay. uh, five. Uh, this is my direct number: three four seven five zero two six four six three. That's three four seven five zero two six four six three. That's the Shiva number, and you can reach me and. Uh, you know, set up an interview and we'll talk. And if there's financial problems, you can. Work we have with them. worked with all these students that we've had. We never turned away a student because they couldn't afford it. In other words, we try our best to uh, raise money. Uh, we hope that these parents are honest with us and they give whatever they could give. But yes. after that, we we, tr- we we never turned away anyone for financial yes. reasons. Well, I, I hope you get a good response to this. And, I hope so, and, too. Uh, I really appreciate your time. And uh, if, <clears throat> if any listener has any other uh, comments or suggestions for New York Currents, I'll give you another number. You can reach us at 917-755-6900.
71 or, or email at nycurrents at gmail.com. That's N-Y-C-U-R-R-E-N-T-S dot com. Thank you for listening. Have a good day. Thank you for having me. Thank you.